You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jenna Sargent, online and social media editor at SD Times. This episode, I spoke with Preeti Kumar, the CEO of DQ Systems, about accessibility and why developers should care about building accessible products. She shared tips on how to incorporate accessibility into applications and more. I'll let Preeti introduce herself, and then we'll get right into it. Hi, I'm Preeti Kumar. I'm the CEO of DQ Systems, a company that is focused on making dev teams' lives easier in getting accessibility built in, accessibility uh, to people with disabilities very specifically. So to start off, I guess my first question would be, when we're talking about digital accessibility, what does that mean? Like, who are we making these applications and sites accessible to? Uh, Great question, Jenna, Uh, because it is a very confusing term. Accessibility can mean so many different things to so many different people. Some people have told me, oh, does it mean that we're available online, you know? So accessibility, as we define it and as we uh, are focused on at DQ, is about making user interfaces accessible to people with disabilities. And what that very specifically means is um, users with cognitive disabilities, uh, users who are blind, who may use uh, text-to-speech conversion technology to interact with user interfaces, whether they're web or mobile, native mobile apps. And basically, you know, um, we cannot assume a person how they're going to consume information. That, that's the premise. And um, the, the a whole class of users often gets overlooked if you don't consider how to code in an accessible fashion. For example, if I'm blind and you know how you and I see the screen, we look at the whole thing, we get the context, we kind of uh, situate ourselves and then we start navigating and interacting with a, a screen. Well, if you're blind, um, it's like almost getting to the information by sucking it through a straw, right? And so it's very serially um, available to you and you have to be able to make sense and create context in a variety of different ways. And the code underneath the app can help you do that. Um, Very often, Accessibility is also seen as a a non-functional requirement, a requirement like security and other performance, other things that are basically seen as an additional pain in the you-know-what, right? Mm -hmm. By developers. So since um, developers often see it as, well, I don't know if it's often, but since developers sometimes yeah. see it as a non-functional thing, do you, I don't know if you have these like kind of numbers or just like a general idea of like how often accessibility isn't really incorporated into applications because of that? Um, it's changing, luckily, you know, uh, uh, but just a survey that was done a little while ago uh, basically 
found that 70% of the web is still largely inaccessible to people with disabilities. Oh, wow. I did not expect <laughs> the number to be that high. <laughs> There's a long way to go, and uh, it's not a one and done, right? So it's not like... Um, well, the way it's done today, perhaps it's seen as a one and done, but it's very much a culture change that needs to happen so it can be sustainable and it doesn't go back to, you know, ground zero over and over again. Right. Yeah. What are some of the things that developers usually get right when they're doing, when they're trying to design accessible websites and what do they get wrong? What they get right, most developers get this right. Okay, most developers, if you explain to them why they need to do something and make them have buy-in to why, it's like something they need to do, you know? Maybe show them the impact of what it means to have an inaccessible um, roadblock in using their application, what the experience for somebody who's blind, you know, turn on a screen reader and show them what it means. Uh, they get it right away. The empathy factor there, you know, uh, people who've grown up in the generation of Me Too and BLM, and they don't believe in excluding anybody. They get the empathy right away. Okay. Where they struggle is really, I don't see this as a, a, a failure on the part of dev teams in general, but they do struggle with the fact that, hey, can you make this easy for me? Can you help me shift this left? We talk about shift left all the time in agile teams. You know, that's the way things are done today. And can you just help me fix, find and fix the problems early in the life cycle? Don't tell me the way things are done today is very much in the rear view mirror, right? They go through the whole process and at the very end, they get a report and they look at the list of defects and they go, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do with this? Let's put it in the backlog. Okay, it goes into the backlog and then defects are not all created equal, right? So a critical defect for somebody with a disability is the same, should be treated the same way as a critical defect in any other functionality. So they struggle with understanding the criticality of the defects. They struggle with, don't give me a bunch of noise and false positives, tell me what's really wrong, and help me build it in rather than giving me this, you know, this like whole tree worth of paper that tells me or, you know, um, long report and list of issues which don't I can't reproduce and I cannot understand do you have um, advice for teams that are trying to build accessible applications like are there any best practices that should be followed uh, yeah uh, I can give you a couple of examples um, but we've actually got a book that is called the Agile Accessibility Handbook, written and authored by our CTO, Dylan Barrow, which really is bottling up 20 years of learning in this field to help you and the team create both the culture change as well as uh, team practices that are going to help you make this happen. The first thing, 
always is like if a business user doesn't have the requirement, if the executive doesn't have the buy-in, it ain't going to happen. How do you go about doing that? Um, that's an example. <clears throat> Uh, the empathy is another example that I gave you of a best practice. You know, developers don't like to be told, just do it because I'm telling you to do it. They like to understand why. So create that empathy in them and, you know, show them what the experience would be like, right? Make them feel uh, the, the pain that uh, ignoring accessibility would uh, entail to a real user of their app. Um, then like anything else, since they're new to this in many cases, because 70% of the internet is accessible, uh, give them coaches to help them through the journey till they become self-sufficient. Um, another great practice is to include disabilities in your design. We have found that 60% of accessibility defects can be prevented from ever occurring if the designer really pays attention to annotating their designs and then passing it on to developers, you know? And automate as much of it as you possibly can. Automate your tests. Go back and increase automation in your regression tests um, and give them the tools to do that because without that, it's going to always be seen as a painful manual process, which has no place in today's uh, world, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, development teams should have, like, should assign a specific person to kind of overlook all this and make sure that um, the development process is, like, moving along while also including um, accessible um, practices? Well, um, I think in anything, as with anything, you need a code owner uh, for things. You need somebody who's responsible for saying that accessibility requirements just don't keep getting into the backlog. And um, we have seen in many, many companies that we worked in that we find an empathetic developer who raised their hand and become the owner of accessibility. But in terms of having that person not become a bottleneck, you need to, I think, you know, really have every user interface developer and designer own and understand accessibility and build in. We've given them tools like uh, Axe Dev Tools, which help you get to, you know, anywhere from 75 to 86% prevention of defects, you know, you can squash those accessibility bugs before they even get into your code. Um, so while you should have a, a code owner, I think in practical terms so that you don't have a bottleneck, it makes sense to have every person um, really have the basic level of understanding and do their basic part. Then the last mile can be done by a single person or a couple of people, depending on the size of your team. And you can actually create pattern libraries with accessibility built in. So there are many things you can do to streamline 
uh, getting the team to follow accessibility practices. That makes sense. So now, obviously, everyone's on being online even more than they ever were. Um, so do you think this increased um, attention to digital products has kind of increased developers' awareness of accessibility, accessibility issues? Um, you know, <clears throat> we recently did a survey. And by the way, Jenna, that's a great question because we are all trying to figure and get a foothold in this new world of COVID-19 and what it means to doing everything online, right? I mean, uh, frankly, that's the way that I saw life going 20 years ago when I thought this was important, when the internet was just becoming a thing, right? Because that was the whole promise of the internet. And um, in fact, that's the reason that for our free online uh, user conference, AxCon, I invite I invited Brent Surf to be a keynote speaker because he gets it. But in the post-COVID world, when we conducted the survey of people who do practice digital accessibility within companies, asking about what the impact of COVID is on digital accessibility, they, they actually said, in fact, a majority of them, 83%, I believe, said that COVID-19 has actually really raised the profile of accessibility and the importance of digital channels in general within their organization, okay? Um, so now that digital transformation, the, the mega trend is everybody wants to do digital transformation because they realize um, that's the, going to be the major means of interaction in society for a little while to come. Yes, it has raised and the awareness of the impact of accessibility. So it's not accessible <laughs> means that you're absolutely refusing a service to somebody with a disability, even more so than you did before COVID. So many, many uh, of them said, actually 60 some percent said that uh, accessibility is seen as more important in their organizations. And 90% um, of those surveyed actually said that they expect their workload and accessibility to become a part of the dev process increasingly in the next few months. That's fantastic. <laughs> I think so. I definitely think so. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of running out of time here, but I just wanted to end by asking if there was like one key takeaway you'd want our listeners to leave this episode with, what would it be? Um, there are many misconceptions uh, around accessibility, okay? And I've seen people go down the wrong path and then rewind and take a different route. I would want to have them avoid making mistakes that I've seen happen over and over again and do it without slowing down the velocity of the team. One of the things that I see people say is that, oh, a website has to be ugly and simple and stripped down of all functionality if it has to be accessible, and that could not be further from the truth. I would discourage them to you know, put add-ons like widgets that claim to make things accessible because really it's Code quality begins at the very beginning and throughout the process, and this is all about code quality. It's not a separate thing, you know? Build it in, make it a part of your 
uh, technical debt elimination, if you will. And there are ways um, that you can learn a lot more about it. And our upcoming AxCon conference is one such place. It's free. And, um, you know, come and learn about it and build it in. Use our tools that are free, open source, you know, make the world a better place. Is If people want to know more about this topic, is there um, some place they can find you and reach out? Um, are you on social media or anything? Oh, yeah, yeah. My my Twitter handle is accessibility20. Great. And I'm, you know, contact us. We are um, our web, um, you know, forms as well as actually the best way to contact me. We are creating a Slack channel that's going to be opening up for many people to come and ask questions. Download our open source Chrome extension. I'm always looking at every single comment that comes in through that. So, yeah, very reachable. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, Thank you, Jenna, and take care. I wanted to give a final thank you to Preeti for coming on the podcast today. In the show notes for this episode, I'll include links to some of the resources that were mentioned. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast app you use so that you can get notified about new episodes. You can also connect with ST Times on social media. We're on Twitter at ST Times, on Instagram as ST Times Mag, and we also have a LinkedIn group as well. Bye.